Okay, we're in a, ser- a series called Different. And I am, I'll tell you, I'm really enjoying myself at the same time. Um, when you pick a fight with the enemy, the enemy usually fights back. And when you do some series, uh, you know, spiritual warfare, I'm not sure where you are in your spiritual life. You believe in any of that. I, I, I believe in it 100 um, percent. But when you start talking about holiness and you start talking about being set apart, you start talking about being different. Um, you you're under some sometimes some severe spiritual attack. That's one thing. The other side of that coin also is when you start to truly understand what it means to live a life of holiness, to be set apart, to be different. It also transforms your personal life. It starts to transform the relationships with the people around you. It's, it's incredible. When you really start to live out your faith, instead of just showing up to church, well, I'm going to go to church this morning, and you sit, you leave, you know, that you did your spiritual thing. But when you really start talking about what it means to walk day to day with God, and you start living that way, your life is transformed. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And ultimately, you will overcome even those spiritual attacks where Satan is just kind of trying to keep you where you are. You know, let's not get carried away with this faith thing. You know, it's a part of your life, but don't make it your whole life. Um, No, make it your whole life. That's what we're talking about. You make it your whole life. So we're in this series called Different. And we're really talking about what it means... To be set apart for God. A few weeks ago I asked the question, what would it look like to live a holy life in your day-to-day life? To live out holiness every single day of your life, every single moment of your life. What would that that actually look like and how can we fulfill God's plan and God's purpose in our lives without compromise? Without compromise, because that's what we're really dealing with. We're, the pressure to conform to the image of this world, if you will, is at an all-time high. It has never been more difficult. It's more intense than it's ever been in our country's history that we, as followers of Christ, would conform to the image of this world. Be more like the world. Go along. Just go along with whatever cultural things are happening around us. We've been talking about how Christians are, they seem to be blown by the wind, or basically blown whichever way the wind, a cultural wind is blowing, if you will. We go whichever way the cultural wind is blowing. If the culture says this, well, we start to shift that way. If the culture says that, we start to shift that way. But what, it, what does it mean to truly be set apart and not fit in. I think we're so concerned about being liked individually. And I, I want to be liked. I want to be loved by people. I want people to like me. But we're so consumed with being liked. We're so consumed with being accepted, if you will, that we've walked away from the idea of being set apart or holy. Because that's what God calls, clearly calls his children to be. He calls us to stand out. He calls us to stand up. He calls us to be set apart. He calls us to be holy. He calls us to be different. From the very beginning, God set Israel apart to be different. 
To be a nation that was different. So when people saw that nation, you know, all the all the laws weren't much so, so much around, oh, do this, do this for no reason. It was when people see you, they'll be drawn to me because you're different. You're not acting like everyone else. You're not doing what everyone else is doing. You're different. You're set apart. That's what God wants for us now. So how can we learn talked about this last week how can we learn from those within the word of god how to walk with him day to day how can we be how can we be a person who again has that that whole idea of being set apart but is a person after god's own heart how do you become someone like god talks about people who are you know set apart and they're after my own heart when you say how can i be a person who God longs to to have fellowship with. How can I be a person after God's own heart? We think first, if you, you know, if I say that, a person after God's own heart, the first person you think of is who? King David, right? Think of David. Because he was a man after God's own heart. When we think of David, sir, a question kind of arises. How could David, think about this, I know we've all had this thought in our minds, God calls David a man after his own heart. But then you start to think, how could David be called a man after God's own heart? How could, how could God give David that title when David committed adultery and murder, basically? How, 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 can, that, how can that be? And you have to ask yourself the question, what characteristics did David have in his life that would qualify him for such a title? What are the characteristics that we can glean from that were a part of David's life that would qualify him for that title? Well, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, Paul talks about how God felt about David. He says, after removing Saul... He made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So the answer to the question is actually found in the verse. David did the will of God. David consistently in his life, not perfectly, but consistently did the will of God. Again, was David perfect? Absolutely not. He wasn't perfect even after Bathsheba. Was David, did David have a passion in his heart for God? The answer is yes. And here's, here's the other thing. Here's the thing. Unlike Solomon, okay, David never worshipped any other God but Jehovah God, the God of Israel. Okay, Solomon going through all the ups and downs of his life. So we're going to talk about him in a couple of weeks. But Solomon was pulled away and he chose to worship other gods throughout his life. David, on the other hand, with the the ups and downs of his life, never chose to worship another God. He only ever worshipped the God of Israel. So David stayed focused. He stayed focused. What made David stand out was his heart was focused always on the Lord. Again, perfect, not even close. But his heart was always focused on the Lord. He had a deep desire, a truly deep desire to follow God's will and try try to do everything that God called him to do. That's, That's what we should be like, right? 
We should have that deep desire to, to be more like Christ and, and try to do whatever God is asking us or calling us to do. So with the remainder of our time, what I, what I want to do is I want to look at some of the characteristics of David's life that made him different. What are the characteristics that made him different? And basically characteristics that we can use in our own spiritual journey, in our own spiritual walk, in our own striving to be holy as he is holy. So what are some characteristics? First, David was called a man after God's own heart or a person after God's own heart because of his intense faith in God. This guy had intense faith in God. We see, that in the, we see it in the famous story of David and Goliath, right? In 1 Samuel chapter 17. We see David's faith when he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. That's in verse 37. When everyone else was running from the battle, Saul, the Israelites, you know, his brothers, every, when, when everybody else ran from the bat- battle, David was running toward the battle. David trusted God with his life. His, with his very life, David trusted God. And he had faith that God would give him victory even in this battle with Goliath. So David had this intense faith in his God. David was calm. Uh, David was confident. He learned early on in life that God could be trusted and God should be obeyed. That you need to trust him in your life. That's something, you know, you think about it, you know, well, David, look at he committed adultery and then he murdered Uriah the Hittite and all this kind of thing. But you gotta, let's, let's, let's not focus totally on what David did wrong. Let's, to, let's focus on what David did right and ask ourselves some serious questions. Do we have faith in God? I mean, faith. Do we trust him with our lives? Do we trust him with our relationships? Do we trust God? That's something we need to grapple with. It's clear in the Bible that David, David's faith pleased God and David was rewarded, okay, for his faithfulness. When you are facing life's challenges, you lose a job. Maybe you just lost a job. Or um, you're having struggles in your relationships, whether it's your spouse or with your best friend or with whoever, your kids. When you're struggling in relationships, when you're going through an illness, when life is not turning out the way you expected. I mean, where do you get this the whole idea of, you know, the midlife crisis, right? A midlife crisis is someone who goes through and says, life is not turning out the way I expected. And so they go off rails kind of thing because they want to recapture something. But when you go through all those difficulties and challenges yourself, you gotta, you gotta ask yourself, do you lose faith? Do you, do you retreat from God? Or do you trust in God? Through the challenges of life, because that's what David went through. He went through some real challenges. Do you, do you lose faith in God? Do you retreat from God? Do you shake your fist at God? Are you angry? You know, so many people will say, I I don't believe in God. You know what they're really saying? I'm ticked off at him. Because he's not doing what I'm asking him to do. I wanted this kind of life. I wanted this to happen. It didn't happen. So now I'm angry at God. Is that how we respond? That's not how David responded. 
Even in the challenges of life, that's not how David responded. We've got to ask ourselves, do we lose faith and retreat from God, or do we trust Him? Do we put our trust in Him? Number two, David was a person after God's own heart because, this is a big one, okay? And you might want to tuck your feet underneath your chair because I'm probably going to step on some toes, all right? Um, when David sinned, when David sinned, uh, he owned it. He owned it. For all the things you can point out and say, well, David this and David that. And David. When David sinned, he owned it. Bottom line, bottom line is that David repented of his sin. So let's go to 2 Samuel. We've been talking about Bathsheba a little bit. 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 4. This is what it says. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent a messenger to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Basically, David spiritually face-planted. Okay, That's all there is to it. I mean, that one verse, we can go on and on about David's thought process and sinning there and sinning in his heart and then reaching out and finding her and pulling her in and sleeping with her, all that kind of thing. He basically spiritually face-planted. Which of us has not spiritually face-planted in our life? Raise your hand if you've never spiritually face-planted in your life. Yeah, that's what I thought. No one's going to raise their hand. He sinned. Not only did he sin, then he doubles down on his sin. He commits adultery, then he lies about it, okay? And then he basically murders Uriah, her husband. Because he's caught now. He doesn't want to, you know, she's pregnant, he wants to get out of it. You can put yourself in a situation, you get caught in a big old lie, and you lie more and more, and the lie becomes bigger and bigger to get yourself out of it. David was so intent on, on hiding his sin... That he has her husband killed. But when he's confronted, this is, this is something that's always had a profound impact on my life. When David is confronted by Nathan the prophet, he did what most in our culture don't. He admitted it. Okay, and I'm talking Christian culture. Forget those outside of the church, okay? That, that's a whole different story. But he did what those in our Christian culture today don't. He admitted it. Second Samuel chapter 12, here's what happens. Nathan comes to David after this whole thing with Bathsheba. Uriah's dead now. Nathan comes to him and says, Hey, David, I want to tell you a story. You're the king, so you can help me with this. And what should we do with this guy? There was this rich guy, and he had tons of cattle, and he had tons of sheep. And, and, and so the guy, you know, he has all this stuff. And then there's this poor guy. And the poor guy has one little lamb. Okay, now I want you to get into the story, all right? Because the Bible is really descriptive. Uh, this little lamb, he's really, he's a cute little lamb, and, and, the, and the poor guy only has one lamb. The rich guy has herds all over the place. So the poor guy loved this lamb so much that the lamb would drink out of his cup. How many people here let their, ever let their dog like lick their ice cream cone or drink out of their cup, whatever, give them food? Don't admit it, but I know you do, okay? You just love your dog so much. It's like, or your cat, you know what I mean? The cat does all kinds of things, and you're like, I hope no one ever finds out to let my cat like drink out of my cup. You know what I'm saying? So he has this little lamb that he eats off his plate. It drinks out of his cup. It falls asleep in his arms. 
Right? It's a part of his family. He treats it like one of his daughters. That's what the Bible says, right? So he loves this little, little bitty cute. You've seen lamb's faces, right? And that's, Nathan's probably just really good. And then all of a sudden he says, now, here's what happened, David. Help me out with this, buddy. He says, the rich guy has some visitors come to town. And instead of taking one of his lambs, he snatches the little lamb from the poor guy because he's in a position. Because, you know, he's rich and this guy's poor. What's he going to do about it? He snatches a little lamb away from the poor guy, cuts it up into pieces, and he feeds it to his visitor. David is incensed over the story because he's a king. I don't care about this rich guy. And he said, well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. First, this guy should be put to death. That's first. And he has to pay four times what he took from this guy and blah, blah, blah. And Nathan stops when David's all done being all worked up about. It's, isn't it so true? People sin, 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 all, but then they want to pick on someone else's sin. When someone else does something, it's like, I can't believe that person. We should take a step back sometimes and realize before we start, like, like take the speck, you know, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, make sure you take the plank out of your own. And Nathan says to him, in our, you the man, basically, you're the man, you're the one. And David realized right away what he was talking about. David was overwhelmed, he realized, and he, he, he basically owned it. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Notice who he sinned against, first and foremost. And then Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Because David was right. And who deserved to die? David, for what he's done. Uriah had his wife. David could have basically, if he wanted to, anyone he wanted. He's the king. And he has to take Uriah's wife. He has to get on the roof, look down. Oh, she's beautiful. I'm going to have her and then have Uriah killed. He could have had anyone he wanted. Nathan said, but Nathan said, the Lord has also put away your sin. Why? Because David repented. You shall not die. The issue I have with modern Christian culture is honestly, this is my biggest pet peeve. We deny our sin. We. Okay, we, I'm going to include myself and we as Christians. We often deny our sin. Instead of confessing it, we justify it. We're beginning, and you see it more and more and more. Instead of just admitting it, okay, or confessing it, we justify it. When we're confronted with scripture, we, we often respond with defiance. I've sat down with people in the last 10, 15 years. I, 20 year, 25 years ago, you sit down with a Christian and you open up your Bible, the story, it, the game, it's over. You sit down and you read scripture and you say, okay, you're doing this. God's word clearly says this. And the other person's like, ugh, you're right. Either didn't know it or did know it, but now they've been kind of found out, and so they, they're broken hard, they repent, there's a, there's a brokenness there. There's a brokenness in their heart. Now, now you open the Word of God, and people will say things like, well, I feel, what I, what, well, I understand what you're saying, and I understand what that's saying, but my favorite is, but I, you know, you're doing something that's completely opposed to the Word of God, and it's, well, God doesn't want me to be unhappy. And hear me out, and I'm going to say this, I'll say this calmly without any kind of intensity to it. Obviously, God wants you to have peace and joy and contentment and happiness in your life. He wants you. He wants that for your life. But God, God wants you to be holy more than he wants you to be happy. 
Okay, because it's your definition of happiness anyway. And that doesn't usually work out for people. But God's more concerned about Jeff Greer's holiness than he is about Jeff Greer's happiness. Because ultimately, if I live out the holiness of God, if I, if I am set apart for God and I'm doing what God has called me to do, I will be happier. I will, be, I will have more peace. I will have more joy. I will have more contentment in my life. So God's more concerned about our holiness than he is about our happiness. I think if Nathan came to many Christians today, he may have heard things like, well, let me, let me, Nathan, wait, let me explain to you. We, I'm in love and love is love. Okay, and I know it's outside of this, whatever, but at, or he would hear, but hey, Nathan, Nathan, I, I hear you, but let me explain how I feel. Um, Bathsheba's my soulmate. I know I'm married over here and she's married, over, but, but Bathsheba, you don't understand. I mean, enter into my feelings here for a second. She's my soulmate or, or well, Nathan, I think she and her husband are, are separated because he's at the front lines in the battle and she's back here. They're separated um, and, and because they're separated, or at least, you know, I've talked to her a little bit and I've, I've realized that maybe, and I'll talk about Bathsheba, I'm just talking in general now, that she, they're not really in love anymore. She and her husband are not really in love anymore. And so, it, 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 so it, in all practicality, they're not really married. You, get, you, you see my, how my logic works here, Nathan? They're not in love anymore. She's my soulmate or he's my soulmate. They're not real practice. You know, I know they're legally married. I know they made a commitment before the Lord. But in all practicality, they're not really married. Or when Paul talked about adultery, it was a different cultural context. Or, you know what, this is Old Testament you're talking about here. It's Old Testament, Pastor Jeff. So we're under law. We're not under law. We're under grace. So here's the thing, though. Whether you're under law or under grace, whether Bathsheba loved um, loved or didn't love, there's no reason to think she didn't at all, okay? She's sitting there taking a bath, and this guy, is he's the king. What's she going to do? But whether, whether she loved Uriah at the time or not, whether she fell madly and deeply and beautifully in love with David before they had sex, or whether David, whether Bathsheba was David's soulmate or not, it was a sin. It was, I want, I want to be real clear and not like mess my, mince my words here. All the things I just described to you, loving this person, soulmates and all the stuff that we can throw around. And for at least they're soulmates for this year. Well, for how long are they? All that, let's be really clear. It is a sin. All the things, all the excuses I just described to you. Well, they're not really, kind of they're separated, but so they're not really, and they don't really, and so I'm sleeping with her now because we're soulmates and I love her. It is, according to the word of God, not my opinion, it is a sin. David admitted his sin. Okay, David admitted his sin and asked for forgiveness. What he did was he got he got called out for his sin. He repented of his sin. And then he wrote Psalm 51. Okay, 
Here's the difference. You say, what's the difference? Well, David committed adultery and David did this and David did that. And then David confessed his sin. David owned his sin. David felt the... the let, me exp- let me stop for one second before I read this. People will say, you know, well, God's grace, you, God's grace, God's grace. Absolutely. But let me explain something really clearly. You cannot truly understand or grasp or own the grace of God until you recognize your own sin. The person, go, go, go back and and read the story of the man who wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Go back and read the story and you'll understand how he could write that hymn. Before you can truly understand the grace of God and use that as kind of like your, your fallback, you cannot understand the grace of God until you recognize your own sin. Here's what David, okay? It says, Psalm 51, director of music, a psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. That's in the notes. Here's what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth. Truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That sounds a lot more like, a lot less like a bunch of excuses and a lot more like a man who's not just saying, ah, I messed up. He understood the depth of what he had done and he repented and that's what God is looking for. That's what God, that's what God is truly looking for. He may, honestly guys, he may have out us in a season of his life, but he crushes us when it comes, in this culture, when it comes to repentance. And that's why God called him a man after his own heart. That's why. You're asking why, how God could call a guy like this. You know, this should really, 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 this sermon should really be an encouragement to every single person in the room. Because if, you, if you're not getting it, it's okay, it's okay. But you, you should study the grace of God because... Here's David who spiritually face plants more than most of you. Everybody, I don't know anybody in this room has, that has done what David did. And God chooses to call him a man after his own heart. What does that tell you about the grace of God? What does it tell you how overwhelming God's... We talk about love. Love is this. Love is that. Everybody throws love around. You know what love is? Love is a God who, when people like us completely diss him when we write him off when we are when we we he gives us so much and we are so thankless still loves us so much that the moment we bow our knee and ask for forgiveness 
everything is wiped clean. Everything is wiped clean. When we fall short of God's perfect standards, ask yourself, ask yourself, do I admit my sin? When I fall short of God's perfect standard, do I admit my sin or do I justify it? And then I I was thinking to myself, when was the last time that we actually sat down and took took some real time to just repent for what for how we behave before a holy and loving God who's given us so much? When was the last time you I know we pray, you can pray all the time, but when is the last time you truly sat down with God and repented of the things that you know break his heart? He's not this wrathful God who just looks for opportunities to get us. He's a God who wants relationship and fellowship with him. But it's hard to have fellowship with a God. Some of you have not read or maybe not really prayed for so long because you're either you have this sin in your life and you here's very practically. If you're looking at something or doing something or acting in such a way or committing adultery with someone and you're backing away from God because you you feel like, oh, I don't like how can I stand? He already knows everything you're doing. And you know what? He still loves you. Why were we yet still sinners? Christ died for us. Even in the midst of what you're doing right now, our God loves us intensely. Talk about it all the time. Why? Because when you gave your life to Christ, his blood completely covered you and you are perfect in standing with God. When he sees you, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. All he's waiting for now, what, what, what you're doing right now, he's waiting for you to repent and come back to him. And then the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. And the Bible said that God then chooses, you can't do this because you're a human being, he can, he chooses to forget what you've done. I'm going to go to 1 John. And read you something in First John, because I absolutely love this passage. Although it's it's First John chapter one, starting in verse eight. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we can, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do over, you get a do over. Doesn't say that. I just said that. Okay." If we, if, I don't think it's up here because I didn't tell him to do it. Okay, if we claim we can, oh, do over. We're saying oh, do over. I'm going to look that up in the Bible. Where did it come from? Pastor Jeff made it up. Okay, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. But listen to this. This is so amazing. Okay, let's close your eyes. Let this sink in. So I'm preaching, and so my dear friends, my dear children, this is what it says in First John two. My dear children. I write this to you so you will not sin. So I'm telling you all these things, guys. I'm I'm preaching this and I'm reading the word of God so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, reality. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. I love, 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 love being a Christian. Why? Because number one, in standing with God, I'm perfect because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And when I fall short, when I spiritually face plant, okay, God is not looking to get me. God is waiting to receive me. 
He's not looking. He's not, God is not looking to uh, unleash anything on you. God is looking to embrace you and pull you back into his arms. He wants to have a relationship with you. When we repent, that's what happens. We're brought back into a relationship with God. The cool thing is, some of you have felt like you've walked away from God. The really cool thing is, He never walked away from you. I don't care how far you think you've walked. He He has been standing right there by your side all along. Number three, David was a man after God's own heart because he loved God's word. Of the 150 Psalms in the Bible, David wrote more than half of them. He wrote more than half of them. As he wrote, David consistently talked about how much he loved God's perfect word. I mean, it was so much a part of his life. In Psalm 119, 47 and 48, we read, For I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees. Meditate on it. He loves the word of God. Because of that desire... God granted David understanding and gave him wisdom because of that. In Psalm 119, 2 and 3, it says, Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their hearts. There it is again. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. How much, and this is not a guilt thing. Do not let Satan come in and start talking guilt. And you say, you never read your Bible. I'm asking you a question. How much time are you spending in the word of God? And if your answer is not very much, then just, just go back, okay, and start over again. Start to read, start to study, write it all down, ask the question. You, if you start to do this, you're going to find things you're like, I don't understand that. Why does it say that? Why did God do this? Why did he do that? Write it all down. And get some, and someone staff or in, in a life group, a Bible study will help explain those things to you. All right? How much are we studying the Word of God? That's an encouragement. That's not a guilt trip. Number four, David was a man after his own heart, God's own heart, because, because he was thankful. He was thankful. David, David had a lot of emotional ups and downs in his life. A lot of a lot of joys, a, a lot of peace, a lot of joy, peace, contentment, all those things. But he also, like all human beings, he had times of hardship. He had times of fear, discouragement, right? And through it all, though, through it all, he continued, he continued, all right, to thank God through it all, through the challenges. In Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Thankfulness was one of David's greatest characteristics. Thankfulness was one of David's greatest characteristics. we got to be thinking about this, how important this is. I, I, I think it's something we need to ask ourselves. Are we thankful Throughout all the seasons of our lives. And you say, you've got to be kidding. You've got the season I'm going through right now. You want me to be thankful? Yep. I'm not saying this willy-nilly, guys. I understand when I'm saying, I know what some of you are going through. And the answer is still yes. Yes. Because God loves you. And, and you just, you know, it's so, I've, heard, I've had people who've lost their jobs or have had different difficulties in their lives. And... And you've got to think, God is going to bring you through whatever you're going through. 
Okay, you're going to spend this life and eternity with him one way or the other. Okay? We need to be thankful in all our circumstances. We want to be a person after God's own heart. We want to be righteous. We want to be holy. We want to be set apart. We want to be different. We need to be thankful in all of our circumstances. And you think, I'm not sure I can do that. Maybe you can't right now. Okay, but this is something you grow toward. This is something you try to grow and be more. You grow in spiritual maturity. You grow in your faith in Christ. And you will be able to be thankful in all seasons of your life. David was a man after God's own heart because he lived a life of faith. He lived out his faith and he followed God's will with his whole heart. Perfectly. We already came to that conclusion. But his desire, when he recognized where he was wrong, his desire was to get back into right relationship with God. Yes, yes, he fell sometimes. But after he fell, he repented of his sin and God forgave him. The same as we have. We have, we have more than he had. We have Jesus Christ who goes to the Father in our defense, the righteous one. David, if you will, was considered righteous because of his faith, okay? We, we have the righteousness of Christ, right? You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We have more. When we ask for forgiveness, Jesus goes to the Father in our defense and we are forgiven. Holiness, holiness is not about, it's not about always being perfect. I want to make that clear. We talked about this in the last couple of weeks. Holiness is about not, it's not always about being, you know, not about always being perfect. It's about always trying to be honest and authentic. It's about, it's about our love for God driving, our love for God driving our thoughts and our actions. When? All the time. All the time. You leave here, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, tomorrow, Friday, next Friday, where are you going to go out? Who are you going to hang out with? What are you going to do when you go out? All those things. Every bit of our lives, every thought that we have, every action that we express is driven by our love for God. Now... Is that easy? Absolutely not. But it's something we need to strive for. Because again, I'm going to say this one more time. I'm going to, I'm going to, no, I'm not. I'm going to keep saying it over and over again. But here's the thing. In standing with God, if you have Christ in your life, you are perfect in standing with God. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ, He took on your sin when He went to the cross. So when God the Father sees you, He no longer sees you. He sees His Son. Okay, if that doesn't make you like thankful, right? If that doesn't make you thankful, I don't know what's going to make you thankful, but here's the other part of that. So now you try to become more and more like him. You, your goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And, and you do that and you grow and you grow and you grow. But when you fall short, okay, when you fall short, you ask for forgiveness and you move on. Here's what, here's part of the problem with, with us as Christians in general, okay? We fall short and all of a sudden we throw up our hands and go, well, see, I just messed up. I might as well just give up on the whole thing. How, why, how, theologically, why would you think that way? Yeah, because I've sinned, because your sin has been so profound that no one else in the world has ever sinned like you. Okay, spare me. Okay, really, I mean that, spare me. Your sin is not greater than His grace. 
your sin. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. And some of you, here's another thing, okay? You messed up whatever day, whatever years ago, months ago, two days ago, alright? That is not your identity. That is not who you are. That is what you have, that was a choice that you made that you've repented of. God has forgiven you of. He has forgotten about. Your identity is found only in Jesus Christ. These are all the good things. So the goal here, now that you have all that, and you're perfectly standing with God, and no matter what happens for the rest of eternity, you're not going anywhere but to be with Him for eternity. Now you can do the best you can to walk that, to walk that path. And when you go off the path, because whatever it was, you recognize it like David, you repent of it, and you get back on the path. And you say, well, that sounds so simple. It is. that's how easy it is for to be brought back into relationship with God to recognize that I'm not on the path that I'm not I'm not living out God's perfect plan I am not on the path that God has for me my purpose and when I veer off I ask for forgiveness and I get back on the path the hard work was already done I don't, Jeff Greer doesn't have to work his way to anything. I already got on my knees before my holy and loving God and asked Christ to come into my life. His blood has completely covered me. Okay, all the hard work has already been done. Now Jeff has to do the best he can to be like him. Why? Not because he's going to get me, because I love him. Because I love him. I love him so much for everything he's done. I'll do my best. And when I fall short, when I fall short, I will get on my knees and ask God to forgive me because I've disappointed him or whatever word you want to use. And God says, ah, embrace you back. Next week, we're going to look at a person who exemplifies these characteristics of Honesty and and being authentic. What does it mean to be an authentic person before God? Next week we're going to look at a man who exemplifies that. His name is Nathaniel. And Jesus said he's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Amazing. I want you to bow your heads with me as we close out this morning. David, don't don't lose concentration though, okay? This is important. David teaches us some important lessons here. That our sin separates us from God. And we need to recognize our sin. And it's when we recognize our sin and we repent that we're brought back into communion with Him. Into fellowship with Him. The Bible says that even our best efforts fall short of His holiness. Everything I described to you just a minute ago, what Jesus Christ has done for me, what Jesus Christ has done for so many of you, that's if we have a relationship with Him. Right now, not everyone has that personal relationship with Christ. And the Bible says that even our best efforts to be good, if you will, fall short of God's holiness. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, all All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't think you need a pastor to tell you that you're not perfect. I don't think you need a pastor to tell you that you fall short and that you're a sinner. 
I don't think you need a pastor to tell you that God is, well, maybe you do, to God is holy and that your sin separates you from Him. God cannot be in the presence of sin. In Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's God's plan. God's answer to our sin problem is Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he bridged the gap between my sin and God's holiness. It's like he held one hand up to God the Father, and he held one hand down to me, and he bridged that gap. And I'm now connected. Romans 10.9 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, then we will be saved. We will spend eternity with Him. My friends, we all have a choice. Honestly, if you think about this entire sermon, it's to deny our sin and live in defiance, or to confess our sin like David and find forgiveness and fellowship. If it's your desire this morning to become a part of God's family, to confess your sin and find that forgiveness and find that true fellowship with God, I want you to pray a simple prayer with me. The prayer is not magic. It's it's what's in your heart that makes all the difference. I want you to pray this prayer with me. If that's your desire to have that relationship with Christ... You don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. Father, I know I make choices that break your heart. I've made them in the past. Maybe I'm, even now, Lord, I'm making choices that are, that are that's really breaking your heart. And God, even in the future, I know I'm going to fall short. I know that my sin separates me from you. God, I I want to be adopted into your family. I no longer want to be just a creation of God. I want to be a child of God. I want to be adopted into your family. I no longer want to face this world alone. I've tried it, Lord, and it doesn't work. So I do confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I want him to come and be Lord of my life. I pray that you would just fill me with your spirit. And show me my purpose. And God, show me what it means to walk with you. Day by day, moment by moment. Show me what it means to be set apart for you. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. If you, if you